Hey gang, welcome to episode 126 of the No Proscenium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson, coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles. This week on the show, we have Louis Chang Chen and Stephen Klein. They are both actors in Caught, which is currently down at the Think Tank Gallery. Louis, uh, is, well, I don't want to. I don't want to give away too much. I still don't want to give away too much about the show. Um, more on that in a moment. Uh, yes, the episode is late. It is Saturday when it is going out. Uh, I woke up uh, all blissed out on Friday, uh, on Black Friday, and uh, it was about two o'clock in the afternoon when I said. Oh, it's Friday. Uh, and so that's why you're getting a podcast on a Saturday. Uh, another note, uh, we originally had uh, Ariel Rubin and Juliana Patel of The Wild Optimists with Escape Room in a Box, uh, The Werewolf Experiment on to talk about some big news that they had. And the file got corrupted. Uh, something weird happened. Zencaster failed me for the first time ever. Um, so I'm sorry, ladies. We will we will have you back on the show. We will definitely get that. Uh, I'm also sort of sad because I like having two segments on the show uh, for various reasons. Uh, it just feels like a more well-rounded experience when we do that. I just said experience. Someone take a drink. Um, nevertheless, we persist. That is what we do. So... Let's be efficient because this is actually a pretty hefty interview we've got coming uh, towards us. I do want to give a shout out to the Patreon crew. No new backers this week, but this show is made possible. So is the newsletter. So is the website. So is all the the not no pro immersive stuff that I I get up to and the team gets up to. Well, I get up to on the financial side. The team uh, through through the support uh, mental through my sanity, my sanity is dependent upon your Patreon contributions. So patreon.com slash no proscenium, join the pirate armada. Our sustaining backers, as always, are Ross Sigworth, Bradley Smith, and Lonnie Hansen. Um, thank you all so much for being who you are. Uh, I am very thankful for all of you. Uh, I also am racing to get to a meeting, so uh, because it never, 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 never ends. Let's set up the interview. Um, the less you know, <laughs> instantly, don't listen to this. The less you know about Caught, which is currently down at Think Tank Gallery uh, and is uh, produced uh, with Versus Theater and Firefly Theater and Films, the less you know about Caught, which is an Obie Award-winning play, um, the better off you are, which makes this pitch to listen to this interview kind of awkward. I am hoping that this interview is listened to by people who have seen this production or at least seen the play. Um, if you're in those categories, you are you are cleared. If you are a person who's like, well, I'm not in LA, I'm never gonna get a chance to see it, you are also okay to listen to this episode. There are uh, two weeks left. And indeed, instead of holding the episode, that's why I'm running the episode. There are two weeks left for the show. You should see the show if you are not in those categories. If you haven't seen the play somewhere else, 
you know, if, if, if this is new territory for you and you're in Los Angeles or Los Angeles adjacent, go to thinktank.gallery and get yourself into the whole experience of cot the whole experience of district 798 all right just do that for yourself for your sake okay trust me trust me um that being said if you so that's that those are your marching orders if you are in that category you will stop the episode now and come back to it once you have seen the show. Full stop. You have five seconds till I get into spoiler, ter- spoiler territory. Five, four, three, two and a half, two, one. All right, from here on out, there will be spoilers for Caught because Caught itself is a giant freaking spoiler and there will be language it's a giant giant spoiler um this is a multiple layered onion skin puzzle box rubik's cube tetris of a play that utilizes immersive theater techniques and tactics in the context of is it a gallery show is it an event happening is it a, a talk back it is is it uh is it a traditional theater piece you can't tell. And that is the joy of Caught, particularly in this staging. We dive deep into it. We dive into how the guys got on board. Uh, Louis plays the lead. He plays Lin Bo. Um, that's the reason why I put a spoiler warning is like, if, if you don't, if you can walk in totally blind to this experience, it is going to be categorically different to you walking in knowing anything. Uh, I, did, I walked in knowing things. Uh, so my experience, of course, is is different. I loved this show. This show is one of the things that has gotten me recharged in the past month. Uh, talking with these guys did that even more so. Uh, this is such this is such a joy. Uh, we recorded this uh, in the diner at Think Tank, uh, so we used the Yeti. Uh, so you know, uh, decent audio quality, but not you know not the studio audio quality we often had when we were at Think Tank. Um, I'm just so glad the show is happening in LA, uh, and I'm very excited for all of you to check it out. And I am super uh, proud to present this interview we have with both Louis and Steven. And uh, here we go. So we're back here in the diner. Uh, the yes. last time, the last time I was in the diner, we were, we were pretty much in the same position. But I was talking to Limbo. Limbo is no longer with us. <laughs> <laughs> Something has changed, and he has become—he's become Louis. Yes, so, I. Hey, um, District Seven Five Eight. Seven Nine Eight. Seven Nine Eight. I'm yes. always doing this. Seven Five Eight. I think I keep on going back and forth between the Berenstein and the Berenstein universes. Uh-huh. So one of them is <laughs> Seven Nine Eight. I swear. Um, or five eight. Wait, what? Did I, I can't keep it straight. Sorry, but caught is the show. Yes. The you guys have built this very. Well, take take me through this here because this is an Obie Award winning play that had its premiere in New York. Yes. And you guys have in this production done something very different with the production. Yes. Yeah. So sure, we'll give a little background on how we kind of ended up 
here at this. And this is Stephen talking right Hi, now. Hi, I'm Stephen uh, yeah. at the table, at the diner, think tank gallery. Um, so this is a play. It's a published play that is fairly new. It was, I think, first workshopped in, in 2015. 14. It was first workshop in 14? Sundance, yeah. Oh, that's right, at the mm-hmm. Sundance Lab. That's right. Um, and then Philly was 15, I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then um, New York premiere last year, 2016, almost exactly a year ago. Exactly a year ago, yes. Um, and I had been sent the script by a Philadelphia-based director who had seen the production there, thought I would like it, and said, here's a great new play you might want to think about doing in LA. And I read it, and it was amazing writing, oh, yeah. great ideas. Um, and but I had this sort of doubt, which was two things. One, does it? Re- it's very. It's got a lot of ideas. It's an idea-heavy piece. Do they play off the page actively? Mm. And two, uh, is this right for LA? Like, is this an LA play? And so I was chewing on that. And in my memory, I don't know the exact time of this, but in my memory, it was like within forty-eight hours of my reading it, Louis said hey, do you know about this play, Caught? And I was like, yeah, I just read it. And he got an audition to, for New York, ended up booking the lead. So you played Limbo in the New York production. That's correct, yeah. So, so what, what, was, what was it like when you found this play in the first place? When you, like, that, your side of that story, of like discovering this thing? No, you know, um, it was a bit of the same. Um, off the page initially, I, I thought, oh, wow, this is... Um, another one of these kind of politically motivated or um, about the dark side of China. And uh, within pages, all of a sudden, I was like, oh my God, this is actually really interesting. And then as I continued to read, I I kept thinking, oh, well, how would this play manifest itself physically in front of an audience? And really until we had our first audience in New York, I none of us really knew how it would play. Actually, mm, if people would I, actually find it funny, if people would follow the logic of the play, and yeah, and uh, and he, he came is, to uh, the very first preview. Actually, yeah. I was in that very first. <coughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah. it so happened that that my schedule was like, oh, I'll, this is perfect. I'll get to go see it. I'll see Louis in it. That will help answer my questions about the play. And I went, and it was first preview. And you know, even a really good production of something on the first preview can be messy yeah and oh, so i'm very messy <laughs> racing for like man this is a tough play this could be a bumpy evening yeah and it I mean, was I, yeah. awesome yeah i mean i've seen stoppard get butchered totally. and this has as much density as stoppard and like stoppard always reads better than it than it plays mm. except in the hands of a genius director right. who who knows how to embody yeah. ideas and that's yeah. i mean that's yeah. one of the things that's really interesting particularly because you know what you guys are doing with this production is playing with the boundaries of theater in a very aggressive way. So like, it's almost hard to talk about this in terms of it being immersive theater, because it's not really immersive theater, but it's not not immersive theater. It's definitely in you know, the, the, the box of what uh, you know, Michael Tara Garver would call open frame, right? But almost to the point of like, it's, which, is, which encompasses like all experimental, like outside of the box thinking for theater. And this, what I love about this particular production is that every scene takes you to a different world. And the rules are different every time the story moves forward and the audience literally moves forward 
uh, through a lot of that up until the very end. And then, you know, even then, like things shift again, but like our perspective shifts while we're still sitting down. How, how did, did, did that right. vision to start, take this piece that is very idea heavy, you know, hard to embody, but absolutely brilliant, has a lot of commentary, not just on things that are way beyond China, you know, like has, has about like four, three to four layers between psychological, societal, political, um, and yet at the same time winds up being in moments so light, so, so, so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, how to solve this puzzle? Like, like, like what, 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 what was the approach there? Yeah, we, well, we went out for drinks after the production of New York and immediately said, okay, let's talk about this in L.A. And still had a little bit of concern, I think, about how to do it, but also felt, felt that if we were going to do it, we wanted to do it. So it was done in the basement of La Mama. So it was... Yeah. I, if I recall correctly, your, your first concern or question was, how do you think this would play in L.A.? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think that was what, what we discussed. And... I don't know if we came to it then or, but I did say, I think it should be manifested differently than in New York. Different people, different expectations. We have such a wealth of um, larger spaces here in LA that are yeah more affordable than in New York. And also that would truly physically manifest the play in a kind of more immersive fashion. I yeah, think that came pretty early. Like It did, yeah. yeah. No, my, in my memory as well, that, yeah. that we should say probably for listeners who haven't seen it, the, so the play it is set in an art gallery, begins in an art event with a lecture from an artist, and the, and the scripted play asks that you have some artwork in the lobby of the theater, to allow the audience to feel like this artist lecture is taking place in an art context. Right. But at the end of the day, if you're going to a theater and you're buying a ticket from a theater box office and you're getting a mailing from a theater and all of those things, deep down you know that it's a theater event. And so the play then, in its journey, continuously tries to destabilize you. Every scene tells you that the thing that you saw in the scene before it is not true. And in some way, try and sometimes in the same scene makes you wonder what's true or, or, or pulls the rug out from under you. And so at the, at the bottom of that, if you, there's only so far you can pull the rug out if I know it's all play. So right. my experience in New York, which was awesome as an audience member, I loved it. I never felt truly unsafe. I, I, I always knew at the end, I was like, this is an amazing play. What is happening in this play? Right. But not what is happening. Right. Period. Right. Or question mark. Uh, And so it (laughs) felt like we, what we said was, you know, is there a way to manifest this that would really allow you to really pull the rug out? And the the obvious answer was, well, the obvious in theory answer was do it in a real art gallery with a real art show in which we tell people that this is an artist from China, a dissident artist who's going to give a talk and start, just start that way. Now it's it's a it's a weird line to walk though because you've got you've got marketing that's going because you kind of need to you're you're marketing it to art people you're marketing it to theater people there are theater reviews and so like when we when we 
write about it inevitably like well we're going to review a show now and then when i wrote about it i was like look this this is a theater review you know this is a theater review so already you're going to miss that part of the game of of is it real or is it not what's wonderful about the piece is that because it's constantly asking the question of like what is real what's really going on whose story whose story is it um you can still get into that mind space what i'm wondering is are there people who are coming to this who really think they okay you're nodding there are there are people how do they this. react how do they i want to know how they well react. you witnessed one of them on opening night well, but was she really <laughs> like, like she legitimately <clears throat> so so i want to tell, tell the story so there was a member of the audience in, in the third sequence after intermission there was a member of the audience because now we're in we're, we're put in the context of the artist talk back we're moved into the third space of inside think tank uh it's radically different from the other two spaces that we've we've done two people are put up on the stage uh one person starts off on the stage at someone you've seen before they present themselves as being the actor we had seen before and also being the curator of the space and they invite the artist who created the thing we just saw up on stage to talk back which is a character we haven't met at that point in the context of a talk back with an artist someone in the audience decided to talk back and for a hot second it was hard to tell if it was a plant or not because it felt perfectly planted right it, it really did until it kind of pressed on too long and then it became obvious oh no it's one of those people <laughs> but i couldn't tell if she i couldn't tell if she was dialoguing with the world of the play because she was in it and had bought into it or if she with her desire to question the reality was trying to poke at it directly thus sort of violating the the core social contract which is i'm i'm witnessing something and it, for me it was really interesting it's like when the lights changed it got dim like there's a point at the beginning of that scene where the lights are up on all of us so mm -hmm. we kind of feel like we're part of that and then it changes and like now the lights are just on there and if you're aware if you, if you clue into that sort of thing you're like oh i'm not in the spotlight anymore i'm gonna shut up now um, which is often a thing a guide in an immersive theater piece of like, oh, I'm standing in someone's light, I'm going to get out of the way because something's supposed to happen right where I am, right? But right. I've had acting training. Like, I, I realized <laughs> right. this though was someone I think who did have, was a... Oh, it's a professional performer. Yeah, professional Absolutely. performer yeah. and like didn't pick up on the clue, yeah. Yeah. I, which was blowing my mind. But she, like, according to... So she was uh, our, a friend of our director, Ed uh, Iskandar, and he said that she was just fully... In it, that she was wow. so excited. Scene three begins by telling you that the first two scenes you've seen are it. That's the show. Yeah. And we're now going to talk about the show. Yeah. And she fully believed that and loved the show <laughs> and really, really wanted to dialogue with the artist of that show oh about God. its themes and was so into it that she wanted the whole audience to get engaged in that and she wanted to help make that happen. Yeah. Um, which was awesome. <laughs> we know that we have. We, you know, it helps us that there's actually a line in that scene. No, it's the... No, it's uh, in that scene. That's, it is in that scene. This where, is the place, this part of the scene where the rules change again. You know, right. Or something like that. Yeah. And the, and the artist says, the, the fictional artist says, um, this show has been marketed to both art audiences and theater audiences, and yeah. you'll both be confounded by what... Yeah. is being done here. And, and that was in the original script. That's in the script. That's in the script. Yes. And so That's amazing. Yeah, and we wanted... It was clues like that that helped us in our early conversations. We were like, this play is asking it's for a It's screaming for it. 
It literally is in the script that characters say this play is is marketed in two worlds, is done in an art gallery, is all of that. So we said, I legit, do that. I legit thought that you guys had gotten clearance to add that line. No, it's in there. Oh my god. So we so we did that. So yes, this play is being marketed in the art world and the art press as an art show at Think Tank, in which on certain nights an artist will be presenting something. And and it, and it does. We realized we couldn't just say that because Jacob Patterson was like, well, if you just say that, people are going to show up. They're going to think it's a gallery, and they'll come for fifteen minutes and leave. A <laughs> yeah, gallery, yeah. So we have to say it's a durational piece of some kind with that's ninety minutes and all that. But we keep it pretty vague in that it's all Limbo's evening. Yeah. Um, and then to the theater audience, we say this is the OB winning play you've heard about that it was in New York, and this is the LA premiere. It's the first major market production since then. I but believe. done in a different and done immersively. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, and we started a program from the beginning, where each inside at the end of the night you get the actual program for right. the evening, and in it is a thing that says, "Do you want to be a host?" And basically, what that means is you get a free ticket to come back. You get a discount code to share with your friends, and you get information on Lin Bo, the fictional artist. So you can end a text of an email that you can cut and paste that set with links to fake things <laughs> that says, "I'm a fan. I've long been a fan of this artist, Lin Bo. He inspires me. He's in Los Angeles. This is a rare event. I'd love for you to be my guest and come hear this. I got a discount code. <laughs> and we found we have one guy who's done it three times. <laughs> and we, and we, we thought this would be a way to promote like group sales. Right. It's actually mostly people bringing like one or two friends who they really want to trick. Yeah. And, you know, I'm in my role, one of the things I do is check people in at the top of the evening. And I can, like, those people are great. Because they come back and they're like, yeah, yeah, I know, but um, this is my friend. And they sort of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're really excited. It's so giddy, yeah. To, and so th- there are some mm-hmm. subset of people who are coming trusting some friend who has told them that this is an artist talk back from an artist who inspires them, and they're in. And you have people sort of telling you about how much you inspire Oh, yeah, them. last night. Um, they're like, this is so important that you're here. You know, talking about your artwork, I'm so looking forward to hearing about this. And was that someone in character, or is that like? That's the thing that I never know at the beginning. I don't know if they want they want in on the fun. And this is something that we talked about too, uh, um, using the pro wrestling analogy. You know, like <laughs> people go to see pro wrestling, they know it's fake, but they really want. It. So there yeah. are people like that. They really want to get in on the fun, and they're like very really? zealous about like playing along. What do you mean it's fake? <laughs> <laughs> that's right, totally. Our, our president is in the pro wrestling hall that's of fame. Right, that's that's right. Right. It's real. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good one. I should say that's actually a really that's good segue yeah. to yeah. a left turn, yeah. but an important one, which is that you know when we were that first time we seriously talked about bringing doing the play here, we was was before Trump was elected, yes. and it felt like just prior, yeah. Regardless of your politics, it feels like it is, it is urgently true now in a way that it wasn't before. For for, uh, for we're all asking, what does it mean for who controls the narrative? What Absolutely. is how do we trust the information we're getting? Mm-hmm. What is it? What is what is truth when it's being told to us by some authority figure? Yeah. Um, and those questions that are deeply in the play. Yeah. 
were before, I feel like were a year, even a year ago, were a little bit more theoretical. They were a little right. bit, they were still super interesting, but well, now they feel urgent. It, it felt like stuff that was just at the edge of the culture you could find. Like the, the whole the whole sequence, which is really interrogating the idea of of cultural appropriation and what is a, what is appropriate of you know who can tell someone's story. The whole sequence that involves talking about Mike Daisy and the the This American Life China you know experience, and and there's there's extremes in that that dialogue that become almost like from my point of view almost nihilistic at times. Where it's like, what, what can we never talk amongst ourselves? Like, how can we? Can there never be cultural exchange? And even though I, I know that ultimately it's really about there's always an element of power, and if you don't acknowledge that there's power dynamics within these conversations, that you're not really having those conversations. Like to just accept yeah, it. Yeah, well said. Yeah. To just accept it at face value is to is to lie. And then boom, like after this past year, that stuff which was just at the edge, like you said, just theoretical, just you know the concern of like you know internet hipsters on the coasts it becomes paramount to all of our lives right and and this idea of like how are we going to navigate a world where we we can't agree on what's real and what isn't where we can't accept the idea that um when someone else tells someone's story they're going to leave something important out of it and that their filter is coming into it and question whether or not it should even be allowed um and that it's done again you know that it makes it, talking in those terms makes it sound like oh god this is gonna be like dry like i don't know if i want to see it. dying laughing the entire time because it's 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 does what great comedy is supposed to do which is like pick up something that's painful and like kind of like shake it in front of you until it either comes alive or dies, right? You know, and just becomes this absurd distortion. There's this moment that you have in the second scene where we go from having like a just a, a realistically staged scene to suddenly we're in like a 30s melodrama. There's an audio cue and at first it feels, I was telling this about the show to someone last night, I was like, at first it feels like they did something weird in the show and it's a, it's a bad beat and we're <laughs> laughing at the show. Like, and I think I was the first person to laugh. Like, the music cued it off and I was like, ah, that's ridiculous. And then everyone else is just very quiet because this is serious. Like, what, what's, and then something else happens and like someone else laughs and like there too are like laughing at it. And then at a certain point we realize like you guys start to like lean into it and then we realize, oh no, 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 we're laughing with you. Uh -huh. And that turn is itself uh, amazing. Is, is that in the script? that or is that was a, a something you guys found in the there are music there is the idea that there are sound cues in the script i don't remember if it's literally at that moment but in that sequence it is yeah. clear that there are a few places that christopher chen the playwright said you know indicate with sound in some way yeah. that there's a transformation happening here but the but the idea that that transformation was into thirties melodrama is it's nice. Um, that's that is not in the text. Weirdly enough, though, um, the natural inclination is to go to that melodramatic place. Yeah, like any actor who kind of picks it up and reads it, like it it just that's how good the writing is. At that very point, even without in even in rehearsals without. The sound cue, it takes that kind of turn, right? Like yeah. the language literally shifts there. 
um, the kind of use of use of language it becomes very kind of movie language you know? yeah and it's yeah. immediate shifts we and we as human beings immediately understand that genre you know or as, yeah. especially as performers yeah. of a certain generation. what has it been like going from a, a proscenium show of this into this format like how much how much did you have to unlearn the piece and and relearn this or or was it seamless for you oh no no um well i mean in terms of the dialogue we didn't change any of the dialogue right. so that was a you know yeah not the dialogue it's a huge part. chunk yeah. that first scene that that first scene is a monster as a, yeah. as a performer to to learn the first time around so i was fortunate glad not to have to go through <laughs> that again but in terms of the blocking because yeah it was absolutely i mean i i stood on the stage and the audience sat where they sat and you know, to have to now navigate my way through people that are standing or sitting and kind of connecting with people that could be as close as a foot away from you. And that was, um, I'm still working on that. Every night it shifts because people, there may be a bigger house, smaller house. Yeah. It really like, last night we had a very big house and I literally had to change my blocking um, when I looked at the list of people that were there. So you know, at half hour, I changed my blocking. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's, what's for you is the difference in, in the stage versus, cause there's the uh -huh, changing, there's uh -huh. changing the blocking, but yes, like yes. emotionally, mm -hmm. how is that? How, what's the difference there? Because, and it's sort of fascinating cause like I don't get to meet a lot of, I, I meet actors who like do act, you know, stage acting. I meet actors who do immersive acting, actors who do both. I've never gotten to cop, converse with someone who has had the same role in both contexts yes, before. Yes, Right? Yeah. So what's, emotionally, what's the shift there? It's wild. Like, from the very first minute the audience walks in, we are in the space. Hmm. In New York, I had a whole ritual. I wore my headphones to the theater. I ran through the first speech in my head. And then when I got to backstage, I usually had headphones on, didn't let anyone kind of invade my space is very much like pre-game ritual right and here we're like on top of each other we're all kind of there's so many hats we're wearing even before the show even begins and so there's none of that kind of like i'm i'm interacting with people in character having to improvise now you know that's yeah. an added element on top of everything else we're improvising yeah. in character making up dialogue that you know is not scripted it's not not necessarily my my specialty in any way so we've added yet another genre yet another kind of acting style on top of everything in some ways it's liberating um in new york i felt very very much um scrutinized you know mm. I, I stood in the middle of the stage and did a very not dry but pretty academic slideshow mm. and in that there's a slow kind of transformation into a more emotional um, story. And that happens very seamlessly. But, you know, with all eyes on me, all lights up on the audience, it becomes uh, a game of, you know, confidence in, in, in me as a performer. You're, you're seeing people not responding very well to it, um, people really digging it and having to connect individually with people. In, in, in L.A. here, um, there's none of that expectation. Every night is different. Mm. And so you have to go moment to moment to moment 
and um, and you, and you're totally out of your head. So in some ways, it's liberating and a lot more fun. Do you do you feel like you're performing a scene with the audience at all? Like, I mean, th that first one definitely. It's it's a big monologue. So yes. There's a lot of material yes. to deliver, yes. and. And it's the context of, you know, someone giving a public speech, mm -hmm. which itself is like a very different thing from being in a room with someone right. and, 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 and playing with them. Yeah. But is, is there any of that quality to... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, someone could be standing right next to me or sitting right next to me and I'm using them in the scene and having to literally stand next to them and and work with them. But I also think scene two is radically different, don't you think, because yeah. of the mm. way we've staged it in the thrust. Yeah. Now people are, audience members are watching each other responding. <laughs> Which is, yeah. You know? So. I agree. And since that, like, that's the scene that you mentioned that goes from this very naturalistic scene to this heightened melodrama. And part of why it does that is it like directly touches some of the third rail of racial politics. And in a way that would be, I mean, you could, the, the melodrama helps you do that and helps the audience feel comfortable laughing at it. Yeah. Gives you permission. Now to people laugh. are clocking but each other. But they're clocking each other. Yeah. Is this okay for me to are laugh you laughing here? At this? Yeah. Can I laugh at this? Yeah. Yeah. What's happening here? And we see so audience members. Yeah. 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 We can see audience members yes, seeing yes, each other yes, through, yes, through yes, the scene. Yeah. And that is definitely part of how the show plays. And you know, we um, give credit where credit's due. Like, yeah. Ed, that's all Ed and Stephen Gifford and the brilliant stage design there and the kind of yeah. conceptualization of how the orientation of the audience changes depending on the scene. Yeah. Um, especially in New York, I was dead center stage, even in scene two, facing directly out to the audience. Mm. Whereas if you're in uh, sitting in the center of the audience, you're seeing mostly my back yeah. in our version. So psychologically i think what it does for the audience i'm not out there but i think what it does is um puts them in my shoes in some ways there's i was on i was on house right in the back so i got a profile on you but even then i i felt that i felt that we were we were being set with you as our default point of view mm -hmm. right so it was this interesting shift of like at first, I'm watching this character. Right. Okay, now I'm seeing this scene from this character's eyes. Mm -hmm. Now this character is gone and has become completely theoretical, yeah. Yeah. and now we're talking about this character. And so, like this, this person becoming an idea, an yes. idea becoming a person, like, and, and, that's, and that's just one layer. And that's the physical <sighs> manifestation of appropriation. Yeah. You know. Like, yeah. 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 I, 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 what I love about. A great piece of theater, and what I love about immersive, and what I love about immersive that makes it almost like a, a cheat code for that, is when something becomes the thing itself, when it's not just, oh, this is a piece about, but then becomes like, no, this piece is this, like this this thing. This is a piece about questioning, you know, sources and reality, and so it does that. And so it stops being people talking about it and it becomes a thing and thus like it pulls you into it in such a way that you cannot to the point where at the end of opening night, as we were we were told like all, oh, come and get snacks like in the other room and everyone's like you feel the whole audience be like are we really done? Like, it's like yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to. I don't want to know because like if we're not, is it, or no, are we done yet? Like, yeah. and and there's no. 
we now uh, that's one of the things that's evolved since since you saw it which is that we now uh stand in front of the lounge like at the end of the show you're invited to come eat some food with us and have drinks mm-hmm. and hang on there's some more art and um and we now hand out the theater programs hand them to you on your way into the lounge and say here here's the real program <laughs> and my friend who saw it last night was like thank god you did that it was like my passport back to reality and nice. back into the so it was like he he, what he said was, it was like my passport back into reality. It was like you handed me the social contract back. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then now I knew yeah. we could talk about this experience that had been incredibly destabilizing up until that point. Yeah. No, that's one of the things, that's one of the things I love about immersive is, is the tradition of the, the program at the end. Yeah. You know, to the point where like, I, I'll go see a regular, well, if I see an immersive and they give me a program at the game, I'm like, well, you're not an immersive. <laughs> so, pro tip, never get the program at the beginning, yeah. particularly not to me. Um, but then the the flip side of that is, uh, if I'll go to like a regular show and I'm just like, oh, oh man, I don't want to watch people like, I'm going to read the artist's, the, the dramaturg statement and like, oh, who's doing, oh, do I know this actor? What else have they been in? And like scrutinize this work as work before I've experienced it. Yeah, totally. You know, like... I mean, this is something funny for someone yeah. who writes reviews, not really for a living anymore, but like writes reviews as part of this practice. Like, I, I hate reading a review before I see some. I love reading them yeah. afterwards. Yeah, yeah. same. There's yeah. nothing better than yeah. reading a review after you've seen a show. Uh, but gosh, I like going in cold. Yeah. I like going in just like, let me experience this thing. Don't give me any. I don't even want to read an artist's statement in a gallery until I've like looked at the work for yeah. a while. I, yeah, I agree. Uh, I have the same experience. And uh, yeah. And we're we, so conditioned to do that, though, in some ways. Yeah, but it's absolutely right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it doesn't help the art. And, you know, mm-hmm. in our play, we, we do hand out a program. It's a fake program at the, <laughs> at the beginning. Uh, <laughs> so you get the real one at the end. Yeah. But um, people ask always at the end, so is there really a Shion Collective? Yeah. <laughs> is yeah. Yurong a real person? Yeah. I'm so sorry. That's my is favorite it, one. Is the district a real thing? Is the, the district, district is, is a real thing. <laughs> and that's the funny part, yeah. right? Yeah, my Mike favorite, Daisy does exist. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite question is, is, so there's this sort of mythical artist in the show named Yu Rong, right? Right. And um, my favorite one is like, does <laughs> Yu Rong exist? Like, and all I do is I pause and I go, it's his name is Yu Rong. And then they're like, the other guy oh, is right. Limbo. <laughs> and then there's Limbo and Yu Rong. Can you just, can you hear yourself? Can it's you perfect. hear yourself? Yu Rong. Yeah. Um, the district, so like the district, which the art show is about and which is in the show. So, question about that. Um, so it, it really started us like an artist collective and then became like just a, a propaganda tool, really? Is that, is that um, real or is it sort of a liminal space? I think Chris is taking a little liberty in that sense. He actually visited the, the district um, and... I think he was struck by how commercial it was. And a lot yeah. like any arts district in the United States, if you go right. to here in LA or you go to Chelsea oh, yeah. in New York, all, oh, the, my God. all the boutiques and luxury brands that are moving in. Yeah. And it becomes very clear that it's just um, a kind of pattern of gentrification in most neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, it, um, the, and the, so, the so part being that the arts district stopped being about arts. It's like the artists move in where to cheap. warehouses to where it's cheap, and then and then boutiques come in and displace right. those artists, and the artists go to like whatever right. the next neighborhood is and start right. and wind up inevitably start displacing people out of their right. homes, and yeah. then like that's the battle going on in Boulder right. Heights right yeah. now. 
you know, um, whereas if we preserved that, that section just felt like it was talking about the battle in LA. But I, but I think it goes a little bit further beyond that. And I mean, there is still, there is still like, that is government sanctioned kind of art. Yeah. So anything, they're not going to be having like really political work that's pushing serious buttons. And I, I do think that that statement is actually true. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Chan, the player, I did say one of his concerns when we were showing him our marketing materials and how we were doing this. And by the way, he's, he's thrilled about the idea of an immersive production of this. Um, and he's coming to the show closing weekend. Um, but he, he, he did say like, just make sure that when you market the show, he said, you know, that whole opening thing, that take on district seven, nine, eight, like his words were like, I don't know if that's quote true. Like that's, he he had an impression, as you were saying, like he had an impression. His own Mike Daisy moment. Yeah, about yeah. <laughs> uh, exactly. No, he was basically warning again, like don't yeah. market the art show as if it's to, the, in a way that justifies Limbo's take on District Seven Nine Eight as the truth about District Seven Nine Eight. Right. Um, because he's not sure it is. He's not an expert in District Seven Nine Eight, mm-hmm. but he it was one of the impressions he got. Yeah. Well, that I I mean that idea of like. I think a lot about, partly because of the show, partly because of the way the world is, I think a lot about China, our relationship to China, our relationship politically and and culturally and and commercially, Um, and sort of the similarities between the state's relationship to speech and art in China and here corporations' relationships to speech and art. And... You know the, the need the need for artists to find some degree of refuge in you know corporate marketing in order to keep their homes over their heads, yeah. right? And so like, and even here, like as we try and build this immersive world in Los Angeles and, mm. and, and, and New York and beyond, you know, oftentimes very gladly trying to connect the immersive creators with marketing companies are looking to do activations totally. so that it's it's not just the the selfie pop-up gallery things but that there's more layers to it because like those are like wonderful sets where things can happen in but like i always go like oh can't there be something more like when you like get human beings involved and looking at like the westworld activation that they did at san diego right, right. or like the blade runner one or any of these things um, and I get very excited about them. I'm also a pop culture nerd, so I get excited on that level. But then, you know, I step back and think about, you know, there's a degree to which it's a deal with the devil, you know? Mm. And then everyone involved in it, with like very few, few exceptions, like understands that and the kind of begrudgingly goes like, yeah, you know, we do what we gotta do to keep, you know, the lights on. And you, you hope to do it as ethically as you can, right. but yeah. ultimately someone's paying the bill right. and and someone's got to pay the bill and, and maybe you just make enough to like go do the thing you know you would do when no one's looking at your shoulder right. but even I know like in my day job you know there there are there are topics I will not go into in public because if I do I can get in trouble in my day job you know and my day job's very lax about it but it's not them it's our partners right. And so there are times when I walk around feeling like I've got a zipper on my mouth, you know? And it's not to the degree to which some, at all, that someone in China, you know, like that you can't, you can't mention Tiananmen Square, right? Like, you know, like, and that, and, and God, what, what was it this past week? It was, um, 
like Katy Perry because she wore a sunflower at a concert in Taiwan can't enter the country for the Victoria's Secret fashion show that she was going to headline and then like Gigi Hadid or something like that Part of work involves reading a lot of crazy articles. So, like, it's like I read, I, I read Teen Vogue for awesome. Okay, I do not know this Seriously. because yeah. I'm a giant. Did the Katy Perry thing stand out? Okay, but yes. But, like, look, you know, she's an interesting human being. I mean that literally. Uh, fascinating character. Yeah, weird. Weird person. A full disclosure, uh, I've yeah. attended a Katy Perry concert in, in the Philippines. Full, nice. full disclosure, <laughs> I might have watched the documentary that was about when she was, you know, married to Russell Brand. So, you know, Sweet. like, let's 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 be honest, I own a couple of albums. Like I said, I'm a pop culture nerd. But like, so you get these like, you know, superstars in the West cannot go to China for a Western company, Victoria's Secret to do their big promotional show because they have offended the party. And just sort of sitting back and going, whoa. And looking at things like the social media control systems that are being built in China right now, like there's like a, a citizen ranking thing they're doing using all of their social media that, that they're using kind of carrot stick, you know, scenario. So, if you keep a high enough score on some of these things, you can more easily access uh, a certain passport that lets you go to Europe for an extended period of time. Wow. And then, then hearing that like ICE is talking about similar things for tracking right. immigrants in this country and just starting to go like, what the fuck is going on with our planet? Right. Where these systems are it, being turned into. It, it yeah. feel, it, well, it's, it's interesting because it feels like part of what you know, a, an important piece of the puzzle of Cot, of the story of Cot, of how, how it came to be, uh, this production, is that we knew we wanted to do it immersively, right? We needed to, the two big things you've got to find, well, there's more than two, but two of the big <laughs> ones are this where, are you going right. to, we want to do it with an art gallery, well, good luck, where, uh, and uh, a director who knew how to do that. Um, and so the... Uh, director Ed Sylvanus Iskandar, we found from a, a few. There were a, we were asking around a lot of people, who should we be talking to? Um, and he was on multiple people's shortlist, mm. uh, including yeah. Louis. Yeah. Um, and uh, he was on Eric Ting's shortlist and a few other people. And um, on the first kind of interview slash conversation about it, he had tracked the play. He knew the play. Um, he saw the New York production yeah. as well. And. Um, he was, it was very clear he was the right guy for the mm. job from the get-go, including because he, I think I think even as, quote, just a theater director, he would be one of the right people for the job. But in addition, he's made his name doing immersive interpretations of scripted plays. Mm. So he's found this sort of niche where he, he takes things that aren't written to be immersive and builds immersive worlds around them and immersive sets and ways through them. That his focus on that is how do you do that in a way that elucidates the dramaturgy of the underlying play? Yes. How do you do that in a way that's not just fun? Everything or evolves just cool. from the core action yeah. of the play, yeah. which is real. Every kind of yeah. fans out from there. All the multiple layers and everything. Yeah. It, nothing is arbitrary. Yeah. Yeah. And so that. Part of that, so in that process, he has this list of seven questions that you ask about how you go through a play and how you evaluate and find the core that you can build the immersive things out of. And 
so the other piece we found, of course, was Think Tank, right, and Jacob Patterson. And that was, a, you know, we met with multiple museums and yes. galleries and just yeah. going yeah. all over talking to people. Yeah. And in addition to the space being awesome, the fact that Jacob is himself a fan of immersive theater yeah. was perfect. Because he yeah. was like, I would love to have an art show that involved immersive theater in it and to curate something that that we could build an art show that actually linked to this fictional thing. So he was excited about that. In, in so many ways, like walking in just a couple of days before the first show to, to talk to, talk to right. Louis in character and seeing how the space had been transformed and being like, whoa, this is way different from what Think Tank normally is. Right. And having that moment and sort of thinking, this has been, this show is Think Tank's destiny in this, <laughs> in, in this space. Because there have been so many immersive productions going back over the years that have used Think Tank but only only Think Tank I kind of feel could be the right place for for this show in Los Angeles I mean yeah you could do it somewhere else I, was like, I just thought of like five different places that could physically hold it but that spiritually you know sort of meta contextually this is the right spot yeah was it Lauren's yeah. referral who was it initially that referred I mean, it, Stephanie Barnes, the oh, producer. Yes, yeah, a friend of hers is involved in the in immersive production LA and had been to something in Think Tank and knew them. Yeah, and we came in. It was yeah. I mean, when Stephen called me and he was like, "I think we found a space. Yeah, it's great. I, I'm about to go check it out." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," because we <laughs> yeah, we talked to was. so many galleries, you know, and it was like finding just the right people that could host us for this long and that we wouldn't be. Yeah, I really. Did not have high hopes, and when he called me back and he's like, "They're really into the idea." I thought, <laughs> "What? This yeah. is amazing!" And it was it was Ed and Ed's conversation with. So there were there were some early things that were like that. It was Jacob and Ed and Steph and Louie and me talking about what is this thing we're doing, yeah. um, so that we could integrate the art show Jacob's work with yeah. the play, right, and make it one event. Mm -hmm. um, and part of you know everything you've been talking about in terms of. The, the, the feeling that dissonant art might, might become necessary in the United States, mm -hmm. it was when we hit on that, when we hit on the fact that the play has become more urgent in part because these things that were easy for Americans to comfortably judge China for right. a year ago were suddenly less comfortable in that judgment because we're like, what if it happens here? Yeah. And that turned Jacob, as a curator, that turned Jacob on because he was like, that I can, that's a reason to do an art show. Right. Yeah. So the curatorial statement for the real art show, um, I mean, that's full stop. It's a curatorial statement for real art show. It is credited to a slightly fictional person. It's <laughs> actually written by Jacob. But, um, but the content of that curatorial statement on the wall of Think Tank is about the fact that it is now the case that we might need to wonder if we need a District 798 in the United States. We might need to wonder what it means to be a dissident artist here. Um, and so there is a way that even the art show kind of, that those ideas you were talking about came tied for Jacob to, to why the show was relevant for him. Yeah. And that all of that came out of Ed's process of trying to drill down into what are the core, yeah. the core ide singular idea or maybe two ideas that everything, every decision has to stem out. Yeah. That's when you know you're... you're you're playing with fire when you've got that nuclear core that energizes everything else. Yeah. So, 
Anything else people should know? We've been at this for a minute, and the sirens. Sirens talking about fires. I, That's right. There you go. Um, anything else people should know about the show? Like, because like imagining that there's folks who are like, who've been at this point. Hopefully, like I don't hope. Pe- yeah, so I hope people that are listening to this have already seen, seen the show. show. Yeah. yeah. Like any any story or any. Because on the one hand, we could probably talk for like another hour. On the other hand, like I've got like seventeen things I gotta get done. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. we yeah, get to the show. show. Yeah. Um, oh my God, there's so much. Yeah, this has been such a informative process for all of us. Um, yeah, I mean, there's like <laughs> talking to other immersive theater makers. Which, by the way, we are like we don't think of, this is our first mm-hmm. immersive production. Um, and so I'm much more interested in hearing from other people about, including like Lauren Ludwig was super helpful in the ramp up for this yeah. and just giving advice. Um, but the, uh, yeah, I feel like we've learned about everything from like, where do you put the bar versus the food (laughs) to, uh, which we reversed the other night and it was great. Um, you know, how do you flow people? All that stuff are concerns that we don't normally think about. Yeah. And in this case, we also, you know, this is both immersive and site specific, right? Because we also built in a way two theaters inside Think Tank. Yeah. Um, and put Not on even a way. inside you of it. You did. Yeah. Yeah. You built two spaces here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's uh, it's a lot, but I can't think of well like a nifty story. It's really well not a story, but I think as a theater maker and as an actor, mm-hmm. it's really awakened a certain kind of approach and spirit mm-hmm. to how we need to constantly rethink how we present our stories. Mm. You know, so much of theater is like, here's a program, have a nice night, get out of our theater, you know, (laughs) hope you enjoyed it. As opposed to, we're about to take you down this journey, and it's a kick-ass play, and we're approaching it with the same rigor that you would if you were sitting in a Broadway house, but we're adding all these other elements into it, and then when you're done with it, we want to talk with it. You know, we want to continue this dialogue. Yeah, we want, we want you to continue to talk to other people. Mm. And so that kind of connection with the audience is something that I think, um, for the most part, I can't, I'm not going to, you know, generalize with all theater, uh, mainstream theater, is missing or has been lost yeah. somewhere, somewhere that, along the line. That sense of line. community yeah. and, yes. I mean, you, you roll back and like, you know, in the Western tradition, and I, and I think the same function was held in, in other traditions. Theater was there to be communal catharsis. Theater was there to to be a a point of not necessarily consensus, but of consideration, group consideration of let's explore this feeling, idea, this condition that we have together. And because you know a community would have been like a fixed size, like everyone would have you know the. the everyone would have the experience of that work and be able to talk about that work and know those stories and share those stories together. Mm-hmm. And that's something in our internet area in particular, you know, we have very few things that are communal. Uh, and almost all the ones we do are either uh, religious, and even though there's major fractures there, so then you got to step aside from that. So that all that's left are things that are owned by Disney. <laughs> be they Marvel movies or Pixar movies or Star Wars movies. And like that's that's kinda it. Like that's the only thing that we all we all interact with together and are able to converse in, you know. Maybe a few television shows, but even then that's that's right. so bifurcated. Um so we don't we don't do what we do, even did, you know, 
Yeah, I think... A hundred years ago. It's certainly one of Ed's... I think I think this is representing correctly that part of his story is that when he was, you know, cutting it, like coming up as a director and trying to establish his career, um, one of his questions was like, well, how could I do things in a way that made it more likely that the audience was in a generous spirit toward the play I'm about to show them, toward the hmm. work I'm about to show them? And his answer was, be generous to them. So turn the event of putting on a play, instead of, a, instead of turning it into a presentation, he thinks of it as something like a dinner party that you're hosting. So nice. you're having people over, and, and he had a loft in New York where he produced things, he was literally having people over. Um, but, but he's very much trained our company for this production in that way, that, that you are hosts of an evening, not presenters of a story. Mm. And that that does change the energy, because I think it means that by the time Chris Chen's writing begins, the audience is already rooting to like it. They're already leaning into suspending their disbelief. And in a play that's about uh, taking advantage for a noble cause, but taking advantage of hum the human tendency to suspend disbelief, yeah. that's extremely helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's a really wonderful, uh, also a really wonderful energy to have around theater in general. And I, should, I suppose this I'll say about the immersive or to the immersive community is that I have felt like, and I've been involved in small theater in LA deeply for, for a long time, um, but I do feel like in the immersive community I have found, in NoPro, in the people I've met, I have found that the, the sort of passion, the, the originating passion for like why you bother doing this kind of work in the first place, mm -hmm. that I feel like I haven't heard or seen in any real sort of communal way since college and like the years after it, you know? And it's just a wonderful community. And the fact that it's coalescing in some way, that it's formalizing in some way, to, and that it's doing it from that place is, I think, awesome. Well, uh, that's a fun place to leave. So, Stephen, Louie, thank you both so much for talking about the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Once again, want to thank our guests, Louis Chang Chen and Stephen Klein, for being our guests on the show today. Firefly Inc., all one word, inc.com, is Firefly Theater and Films website. Thinktank.gallery, of course, is Think Tank. Um, check that out. Check them out. Um, if you persisted, I mean, I persist. So if you persisted and listened to the episode and the interview, even though you haven't seen the show, well, you know, you're now going to go see the show. You're going to have a very academic experience, but, uh, oh, experience, take a drink. Um, but it's going to be a good one nonetheless. It is really well done. That's that's the other thing. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about going back. It's a busy season, but I'm, I'm definitely thinking about going back and checking out the show one more time. Because um, good theater is good theater, right? One of the reasons why we do this. Hey, uh, there's so much stuff going on uh, out there in the world. Um, Lust Experience just put out uh, the last tickets for anointment. 
Um, definitely excited to see that one pop up. It's also popping up during Star Wars week. Oh my God. Um, there's, there's something coming to Culver City. Uh, a creator reached out to me um, to ask me some questions like right before Thanksgiving. Uh, sounds really fun. I think there's going to be a snowball fight, fight involved. Um, uh, big, big thing. Uh, you got all of the, the sort of Instagram palaces, you know, uh, happy places open, Candytopia is opening. Um, there's just things left and right pop-up season. Christmas is very pop-up season. 29 rooms for those of you who got tickets to 29 rooms, uh, that of course sold out instantly. Um, yeah, I'm just talking about Los Angeles here. Uh, 29 rooms also happening in New York. Uh, there's, there's some stirrings around the third rail website, something about a movie. I heard you might want to check out their social media. I think some stuff is popping up next week. Um, Immersive Design Summit, the Immersive Design Summit uh, happening in January. Uh, Everyone should be getting their notices. Um, If um, please check your inboxes, (laughs) check your spam promotions tab. There's some people who have uh, we've put out some acceptances. Uh, We've we're putting out another wave of acceptances, and we're informing people about the wait list uh, over this weekend. Um, and we're also informing you folks who, who did not get in, uh, as well, which is like the hardest part. That's, that's, that's the part that sucks because there's only like about a hundred spaces, uh, that we could assign people in. Um, and, uh, you know, I know there's, there's a good number of people who have been accepted, uh, who haven't checked their email, um, and they need to check their email, so uh, we can move on with the process because um, we don't have much time. And if you don't check your email and find out that you got in uh, and tell us in time, we will give your seat to someone else. Mm, full stop. No, no. Um, something I really don't want to do. Um, we, we, we've spent hours, hours looking at everyone. Um, and, and it's kind of an uncomfortable situation to be in. It'd be a lot easier if we were just, I don't know, you know, like Moscone center or something like that. And we could just be like, eh, we can let a thousand people in whatever, you know, open the doors. Um, this, this is, this is alchemy here. So, uh, please, please check your email. If you applied to the immersive design summit, please definitely on Monday, definitely on Monday, check your email. Um, check, check all the places where a MailChimp could possibly land. Uh, ask the pigeon outside your window. Talk to the squirrels. Um, okay. Uh, there's a million things going on in my head, but I got a meeting to get to. Uh, I know I'm being cryptic. Um, what is that meeting? Uh, there's there's a bunch of like the Kappa to Kappa Tutis of different theater companies are, are meeting today and they want to listen to a madman rant. Um and that this is an immersive theater. Uh, there's like LA Theater Brain Trust is being put together, and um, someone was silly enough to like ask me to go. That feels like a humble brag. I really apologize. Uh, I don't like to humble brag, but um, I don't know. I'm gonna do what I can to you know r- represent the cause. I guess I'm going as a representative. Of Leia is what I'm doing. Right. So that's what that is. Um, also, uh, you also want to keep your eye out for your emails for those of you who've gotten involved in the layout process. We're going to be inviting some of you uh, to join the committees and there will be some emails going out about that and some public statements about what Leia is up to. Um, we're all you know, busy we're running around doing things, um, talking in uh, talking in cryptic stuff. But no, I got to get rolling. So 
I adore you all. Um, check out all the things that we have. You know, NoPersenium.com will lead you to the the whole universe of things at NoPersenium on Twitter, everything immersive on Facebook, and NoPersenium on Facebook, uh, no underscore Persinium on Instagram. And yeah, um, that's it. Until next time. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, God. Damn it. I always do this. I hate that I always do this. That was real. That muttering was real. Oh, yeah. That's who I am. The music for this and every episode is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. You see, I do it every time. Our sustaining backers are Ross Sigworth, Bradley Smith, and Lonnie Hanson. Thank you again, gentlemen. Mention your name twice on the show. Go to patreon.com slash if you want to be a backer of the show. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>